Today's episode is about to be so unbothered, and you'll see why in just a minute. Welcome to the Black Girl Bravado Podcast, your weekly fix for all things mental health and wellness. I'm Brittany, the joke-cracking, detail-oriented friend who is always down the road when you need her. For the legal stuff, though, not the illegal stuff. And I'm Germany, the loyal friend who keeps you laughing. I'm a ray of sunshine, and you can always find me on the dance floor. And not only are we besties, but we're your besties. You heard me right. It's homegirl vibes here. Get ready for the girls to dish the real, the raw, and the fucking funny. And listen, we may drag you, but it's always in love. Let's start the show, cuties. Hey, y'all. Welcome back. Welcome back, boo-boo babies. How's it going? It's going well. Today is the official first day in our new apartment, on our new home. But before we get into that, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good, but that's why I'm feeling good. Okay. All of it together. Okay. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling overwhelmed. You're feeling overwhelmed? Yes. Why? Life, work. Is lifing? Life, life isn't really, yeah, I guess so. Life is lifing. Work, I feel like I'm being pulled in so many different directions. It's overwhelming as fuck. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what do I need to do to make me feel like I have a grip on all of my current responsibilities? I feel you because there is a lot happening right now. Although I feel good in this moment about this transition and it being official, Mm -hmm. my overall life is very hectic and busy right now. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that I want to do. I feel like I'm reaching for everything at the same damn time and I can't grab shit. Right. I'm like, something, get in my hands now. Please. And it's just a mess. If it's not my wardrobe, if it's not my job, (laughs) if it's not my apartment, I want to redecorate. I say, there's so many things. It's a lot. It is. It's a lot, but I'm still blessed. You are. Yeah. Highly favored. Yes. We're getting on the other side of it. Right. Yes. So we are in our new home officially. Mm-hmm. We got the keys. We've done the inspection. The utilities are in our name. We're throwing the housewarming party. So we're glad you're here today. Yes, this is a housewarming party. So welcome to our new home. Mm-hmm. Take your shoes off. No shoes on. Don't in our touch house. nothing. Don't break nothing. But we will make you a drink. Yeah, we'll be hospitable. Yes. Thank y'all for joining us over here. All of our older homegirls, longtime listeners. And welcome to the new girlies yes, who found welcome. us. We're so excited to be your friends. So get comfortable. We're going to have a good time. Mm -hmm. If you are new here, maybe you just stumbled. Please, we encourage you to hit the follow button in the bell so that you can keep track of us here on Spotify. We really love that. Also, leave us a rating. Yes. We need to come in here and wreck. I want the ratings going up. It's a new month. Up and stuck. It's a new month. I need 100 ratings this month. 100 i'm counting on y'all do what you need to do make us feel welcome yeah make us feel welcome make us feel at home you know how neighbors come and they bring you a pie a plate of cookies cookies. something (laughs) Something. welcome us to the neighborhood something come say hi that's the way you say hi to us also we have patreon that is our exclusive membership community where we have different episodes where basically Jeremy and I just share more of ourselves. We have playlists there. We have so many things. And the goodie this month, we shared the details and Nick Grit about our transition over here to our new home. So if you're just wondering how that went for us, how we were feeling during that time, this is the, the best way for you to get the insights. It's a secret, okay? Right. Also, that is a way for you to join our Discord mm-hmm. where we have an extension of the episodes. You can have conversations. We kind of test trial Discord for our retreat that we're hosting with some of the attendees that are going to be there. And it's been going well. So we figured this is a perfect opportunity to like branch out to more people of our community and have more conversations about the show because y'all listen to us talk, but we don't really get to talk with y'all mm-hmm. or even other members of the community. So... We want to do that. You briefly mentioned the retreat. Mm-hmm. Y'all, we're going somewhere. Places. We're going. We're getting out of here. We're stamping passports. We will be in El Salvador for our Unlocking Sisterhood. Retreat is going to be amazing. If you haven't already or you don't know anything about it, the link is in our description in the show notes. But it's going to be a week of just connecting with other like-minded women, exploring topics surrounding sisterhood and friendship, relaxing, resting, rejuvenation, Just having a good ass time. 
All of that. All of that. I'm excited about it. I am as well. Yeah. So, <laughs> today, y'all, we are starting a new series called Flipping the Script, where we're going to look at the labels people place on us, or sometimes the ones we place on ourselves, right, as black women, and we're going to get down to the root of what it really is and who we really are. Are. Yes. So let's talk about being called mean or difficult. Right. We've all been called mean. My or eyes are already rolling. Eyes are already. I've already rolling. Yeah. I feel like as black women, this happens to us a lot. No matter our age, no matter our socioeconomic class, no matter our status, someone is going to try us and call us mean when we're not ready to or willing to do what it is that they want us to do. That'd be the first thing. Said. Listen. You're nice when you're doing everything, when you're complying, when you're easy, when, you know, there's no disruption. But as soon as a feather is ruffled, listen, the mean and the difficult gets tossed around. People call us mean or difficult when we choose not to participate in the things that don't serve us. Mm -hmm. Top of the list. Listen. Top to it is not to. <laughs> Top it to is. it is not to. Yeah. We also get called difficult when we're just choosing to honor our boundaries. When we put boundaries, set clear boundaries and um, honor them and say, actually, no, this is the line that you can't cross. People have to start feeling away. And that happens with friends. It happens with families. It Colleagues. Well, I was about to say. People in the street. It just happens. Sometimes it can make us look at ourselves like, am I mean? Like, was I wrong to say no? Was I wrong to choose me? I have definitely felt like that. Mm -hmm. It's definitely made me look at myself like feel insecure, feel like I'm doing something wrong because who wants to be called mean or difficult? Like those are not badges of honor. Right. It makes you question your authenticity. So y'all know how we do on TikTok, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And Meg the Stallion, the stallion, <laughs> she popped up on my FYP page and she was having a conversation with Ebro. He was interviewing her Talking about songs that's on her latest album, Traumazine, mm -hmm. one of which being called Not Nice. Mm -hmm. So Megan was explaining that, you know, I'm not a shy girl. I'm not a petite girl. I'm loud. I'm outspoken. I am, you know, I'm coming in tall. Right. Saying I'm, I'm making, I'm, sh I'm shaking the room up when I enter. I'm not coming in like head down, head is high. And a lot of times that can make people feel intimidated. And it makes them feel like you should be showing up differently so that you are acceptable to them. So it, rather that's talking different, acting different, mm -hmm. and even being nicer. Right. You know, and Meg was like, no, fuck that. I'm not showing up as anything other than myself. Y'all been telling me this. You've been telling me that. You saying I'm doing this. You saying I'm doing that. But how about I just not be nice no more? Let's take nice off the table then if that's the case. Right. Fuck it. We ball. Yeah, I, I when you sent me that, I was really feeling what Meg was saying because mm -hmm. she was like, it's so difficult. And like a lot of the times, like we mentioned earlier, we talk about how these labels are placed on us by people outside of us. But when it comes to the woman to woman contact and interaction, it is so difficult sometimes. Yeah. And we are the main ones who do this to each other. And we got to stop that because I've seen Megan be nailed to the cross she by her been. own people. Especially you, you know when she was really getting nailed. Yeah, we're not doing that no more. We're we're, we're, not, we're done with that. We're not. It's out. Okay, well it's time to get into well, if you ask me, because I have lots of opinions on this topic. I want to hear them, girl. We want to hear them. Listen, I have struggled with this because I have been called mean a lot in my life. I have rest and bitch face, so I'm not super chipper. Like, you know, I'm not happy-go-lucky. Like, I'm not somber, but I'm not I'm not that girl. Right. I'm not super bubbly. I'm just chill. I'm real chill. Mm -hmm. And some people can perceive that as being mean. I feel like I hear it a lot when I set boundaries and I enforce them. And that's caused me to be considered mean or difficult. And I just have to think, like, am I really being mean or am I just being myself yeah. unapologetically? And yeah. authentically. Right. There are some people who are just nasty. Nasty right. is different from being mean and not nice off the rip. But you're not that. You've yeah. never been. You always show up as yourself. Right. There's nice and then there's kind. I am always kind. I'm yes. always respectful. Like, I'm definitely not nasty. But I 
have learned that I don't like to do things that I don't like to do. You yeah, know, it's hard for me to really do things. And, you know, normally when you're doing things that you don't want to do that people want you to do, they don't want you to do it begrudgingly. They want you to do it with a smile. They want you to act like you want to do it. Mm-hmm. They want you to be like, oh, yes, I can. That's so hard for me. Yeah. It's so hard for me to act like that when I know I really don't want to do something. You never can fake the funk. I can't. It, it's all over Britney's face all the time. I'm like, girl, <laughs> change your face up. <laughs> They could tell. They could tell. Well, if you ask me, considering these adjectives being nice or mean, difficult, I feel like I have the completely opposite experience. I do have a chipper personality. I do have a more happy-go-lucky, bubbly energy and face. And because of that, I've been put in this box or labeled as a nice girl, a nice person. And truly, y'all, I'd be struggling on the back end because I don't always want to show up that way Mm -hmm. and it causes some contention like it does for you because I struggle with perception the way people perceive me if they're gonna think I'm mean am I gonna come off difficult because I'm not showing up as super like bubbly and outgoing and energetic how will they think of me then am I gonna seem like a bitch and that weighs on me more than just being nice right you know what I mean and I'm I'm low-key tired of it not low key, high key. Yeah. I'm, I've been been done. Yeah. And I'm just truly in this new era since y'all know I turned 34 a few weeks ago. Yeah. I'm just really ready to step into that unapologeticness about myself, that unbotheredness about myself that I know is deep down in there that I suppress for so many reasons, you know, perception and fear mm-hmm. and all of the things. I just need to really unpack it so that I can show up as this like bold boss ass person who doesn't give a fuck period you know like that's really what we're striving to be our most unapologetic authentic unbothered self we deserve that we do we deserve that and we're definitely flipping this shit we flipping it we're flipping i mean i ain't nice i ain't nasty i ain't i'm me you're you i'm me we can all practice this because although i don't like to be perceived a certain way i'm human and sometimes i perceive people in a certain way or want them to act the way I want them to act as well. But I think that's something we can all do is before we judge another black woman or call them mean, we can consider that some people may have social anxiety. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like talking and being chipper and being, you know, super outgoing may really be a problem area for some people. Yeah. It's funny enough. We went out with a group of women a few weeks ago. Yeah. And everybody was vibing. But there was a, a, a young lady in the group who we felt like, oh, is, is everything okay? The vibe is giving a little standoffish. Right. Not that she's mean, but it was just different than what we would expect it in that setting. So the next day we followed up with our other homegirl and, and she was like speaking her praises. Like, although she's a little reserved and quiet, she's such a good girl. So sweet. So nice. And, you know, she's a really good friend once you get to know her. Right. That setting might not have been where she could show her true personality and her characteristics that allow her to be a good, you know, thrive. Right. It might have been like, I don't even do this. I'm just doing this to support her. Right. And here we are. But when it's just me and my friends, it's a party. It's right. up. Exactly. So definitely considering that social anxiety is a real thing. Girl, you might not even be getting the, the best of me right now. Right. But take it to my hood. Right. Let's put the ball in my court exactly. and I'm going to show you how I ball. Right. That part. Yes. Another thing that you should consider before you call a black woman mean is what are you even asking them to do, right? They may be honoring their own boundaries by telling you no. My mother is the queen of honoring a boundary. Miss Cece needs to be next to boundaries in the dictionary. In the dictionary. Her picture like. Yes. If she's open and and she can do something for you, she will. If it impedes on her boundaries or how she wants to move for herself, she won't. Prime example, y'all. Back during the pandemic, everybody was skating. (laughs) There was a frenzy of skaters out in the streets and I wanted to be one of them, but I didn't have a pair of skates. Right. My mother, on the other hand, did. She did. And what I'll tell you about her, she's a girl who always has her things. She may not use them every day. She may not use them every year, but baby, when she want to use them, she has it. To use. So I went over her house. I said, oh, wow, this girl has skates. Moxie's at that. A super cute suede purple pair. Girl, I said, the girl has Moxie's. I strapped my feet, put my feet in and strapped the boots up because we wear the same size. I'm on the streets. I said, oh yeah, I gotta come. She gotta give up, get up off of them. I, I went in the house. I said, Mom, let me get your skates. 
She was like, no. Right. You were there, huh? I was there. I was right there. I was like battling her, y'all. She, was, I was she going... wasn't letting up. And Cece said no. And then Jeremy was like, why? Ugh, you're so selfish and mean. Yeah. Difficult. She was like, you're so. And Cece said, no, these are my skates. And I don't want to give them up. And that was it. I said. And that was it. And I, whoop. I said, wow. Now that is a woman who stands 10 toes down on her boundaries. She will not waver. She wasn't messing with you. She will not waver. So, yeah. you know, before you go in, just saying any and everything, consider maybe I'm asking them to do something that they don't want to do. And that they don't have to do. And Those they are don't her have skates. to do. And right. that was it. They were hers. Yes. Lastly, we should consider that people are dealing with things that we cannot see. Mm-hmm. Anxiety, depression, finances in shamble. Might have just broke up with your nigga. Like, we don't know what's going on with people. So before we just hop on calling someone mean or difficult, let's extend some grace. Yes. The same grace that we would want extended to us. We need to start offering that. And I'm looking in the mirror. Hold it up. Because I, I need to do that. Because I definitely want grace extended to me. Same. I'm in that boat too. Yes. I love it. So y'all, we've got a conversation with the one and only, the incomparable Jamel Hill right after this. Hey, Bookies, we got something special for you. Are you ready to dive into a celebration of blackness that's as diverse as the experience it represents? Well, NPR has got you covered with Black Stories, Black Truths. This is a groundbreaking collection that's more than just a podcast. It's Revelation. What does black representation in media mean to you? Because to me, it's about breaking down stereotypes, challenging biases, and... Also showcasing the rich tapestry of black experiences. For sure. Absolutely. And Black Stories, Black Truths is the epitome of this celebration. Each episode is a living account of what it truly means to be black today. And it's told from a unique black perspective. And I feel like these aren't just stories like they're narratives of joy, resilience, empowerment, and also the incredible ability to create world shifting things out of the struggle. Seriously, you'll hear about everything from pop culture icons like Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to discussions on vital topics like reparations, y'all. There's really no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Have you tuned in yet? One of my favorite episodes is the one on how real self-care takes real systemic change. That's a must listen. Yeah, I really think the hosts bring a tone that's celebratory. It's also informative and reflective, which I really can appreciate. Every episode is a journey. It offers a range of emotions and perspectives that keeps you hooked from start to finish. As soon as I turn it on, I'm like, "Mm." and let's not forget black perspectives haven't always been at the forefront of America's story. But now they are the story. Period. So this is not just a podcast, y'all. It's a collection of some of NPR's best episodes showcasing the brilliance and resilience of the black experience. And we know NPR is known for its commitment to diverse storytelling. But with them presenting black stories, black truths, I would say that this is NPR with the noir twist. (laughs) So what are you waiting for? Turn on NPR today and immerse yourself in a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and black as the incredible country we reflect. And remember, stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, available wherever you get your podcast. Have you ever dreamed of effortlessly conversing in another language? Whether it's for that upcoming international trip, connecting with family and friends, diving deep into a new culture, or simply adding a new skill to your repertoire, learning a new language opens up a world of opportunities. But let's face it, traditional methods like textbooks and classroom learning can be a drag. That's where Rosetta Stone comes in. As the most trusted language learning program for over 30 years, Rosetta Stone offers a revolutionary approach that truly immerses you in the language you want to learn without relying on CDs or DVDs. Picture this, you're effortlessly conversing in Spanish on the streets of Barcelona, ordering tapas like a local, or discussing the latest French designers with Parisians. So sexy, right? With Rosetta Stone's intuitive process, you'll learn naturally starting with words, then phrases, then full sentences. And with over 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish, 
the possibilities are endless. Rosetta Stone's speech recognition technology, including the True Accent feature, acts like a personal trainer for your accent, providing instant feedback on your pronunciation. Plus, with both desktop and app options available, along with offline lesson downloads and an audio companion, learning for the babe on the go has never been easier. And here's the best part. For a limited time, Rosetta Stone is offering a lifetime membership for 50% off, y'all. That's right, lifetime access to all 25 language courses for half the price. Don't miss out on this amazing deal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, BGB listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com backslash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com backslash today. Y'all should know by now that we love progression over here. Let's chat about what everyday progress truly means to us. Whether it's hitting those small milestones or treating ourselves to a little something something after a month of disciplined budgeting, progress is all about balance and staying motivated. And speaking of budgeting and reaching financial goals while still enjoying life's little pleasures, have you heard about Chime? Chime's checking account offers some amazing features that can help you along your financial journey. Let me tell you about one feature that really stands out to me. Chime's Spot Me. We've all been there, right? Dealing with overdraft fees can really throw a wrench in your financial plans. But with Chime, you can overdraft up to $200 with no fees. You heard me right. No fees. It's like having a safety net for those unexpected moments. Y'all, I had a friend who was always getting hit with hefty overdraft fees. It was a mess trying to sort it out. How do you really get ahead with that? But with Chime, you can avoid those headaches and get back on track with ease. Plus, Chime isn't just a bank. It's a community. With Boost, you can increase your spot me limit by receiving boosts from your friends. It's like having your financial back covered by your squad. So... If you're ready to take control of your finances and wave goodbye to those pesky monthly fees, open your Chime account today. Just head over to Chime.com slash bravado. That's Chime.com slash bravado. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bankcourt Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Boosts are available to eligible Chime members enrolled in SpotMe and are subject to monthly limits. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. Okay, we're about to get into a good convo with today's guest, Jamel Hill, the creator of the Unbothered Network. She is an Emmy Award winning journalist and NAACP Image Award winning podcast host of Jamel Hill is Unbothered. She is also a contributing writer for The Atlantic, and she has added author to her list of receipts with her fire memoir titled Uphill. Jamel, thank you for hanging with us today. Thanks for having me. When you read that bio, that just reminded me like, damn, I got a lot of jobs. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Jamel, thank you so much for being here. We're so excited. So Brittany mentioned the, the memoir, child. You came through swinging. I didn't expect anything less from you. But you shared, in general, black women hate being described as angry. If we're not in the mood to be accommodating, if we want room to be unapologetic and stand on our principles, then people view that as anger. Instead, we're really just exercising our right to avoid nonsense. That hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, I feel seen. Yes. Jamil, at what point in your upbringing can you reflect on that really made you feel like you were the most unbothered or unapologetic? Ooh, well... You know, it, I, I do think, and I don't know if it's a, a part of our, our superpowers that sometimes we have as black women. It, it feels like it increases maybe every 10 years. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in your 20s, you're unbothered, right? But in a way that is largely not productive. Right. <laughs> right? Yes. A lot of times. I'm not speaking for all 20-year-olds. I'm just saying, you know, me, me personally. And then you get in your 30s and then it starts to refine a little bit mm-hmm. where you find kind of that inner grown woman that is starting to emerge out of the some of the silliness of your 20s 
Then when you get to your forties, where I am personally sitting now, you really don't give a fuck then. And I, I think it's because after all the lived experience, the ups, the downs, the tribulations, you realize that the best thing you can do for yourself is to set boundaries, to realize no is a complete sentence, to really cut off maybe a lot of the things that were causing you to be bothered, be it the outside influences of people, be it people in your inner circle. I understand now why people say as you get older, you have a smaller circle. I kind of get why that happens now. And so I guess for me, especially in this last decade, having seen my public profile really explode and expand, having to deal with a lot of nonsense, you know, it really just tightened my resolve, if you will. I think the tools that I had were always there. They just got more refined as I grew, as I lived, and as I experienced. I love that. I love that you said in your 30s, you know, it's going to come every 10 years because that's where I am right now. And I'm like, let me get in my my unapologetic, unbothered bag. Yeah. I'm overdue. <laughs> I'm overdue. Yes. I'm overdue. It, it gives you something to look forward to. But Jamel, you mentioned setting boundaries and we hear about boundaries. We talk about boundaries all the time. But I find it the most difficult when we have to set boundaries to those that are closest to us, like our friends and our family. And a lot of the times when we start enforcing those, we're considered mean or difficult. So how do you navigate those conversations with the people that are closest to you when it's time to lay down the law? I'm so glad you said that because that is, I think, the most challenging part about a certain phase of your adulthood is being able to set boundaries with those closest to you. Like it's easy to set boundaries with somebody on the street who doesn't know you or somebody that's just in and out of your life for a season. Yeah. But it's much harder to do that with your parents, you know, with your friends. That is a lot harder. And I have to, you know, to be fully transparent, I'm not really perfect at that. And I noticed not necessarily with my friends, because I think they were always kind of self-aware enough to understand where if any boundaries needed to be set. But, you know, with my mother or something like that, that was not as, that was more difficult. But as you set more boundaries with, say, your mother, the more it actually kind of annoys them. Because this just then, mothers don't do good with boundaries. They don't, honey. Girl, call my mama and tell her that. <laughs> God. Especially black mamas, good God, they don't, they're like, boundary, what's that? Yeah. Like, mm-mm. They're like, I'm not a boundary. That one, you give one of your little friends a boundary is how they look at <laughs> Right. Because <laughs> they're going to always pull the mama card on you. Mm-hmm. But even in that, what I'm much more careful and aware about, and this to lump my friends back in, is becoming people's emotional dumpster. Like, I understand, like, you're supposed to be a listening ear for your friends, for, for your people. But I think we've all had that friend or had that relative or or whoever in our lives, even that man, if you will, that when they're going through a lot of different emotional changes, they're always calling you and sort of sucking your emotional strength. You know, so it feels more not like a give and take. It feels like your energy is being consumed by this person all the time. Yeah. And so I had to do a better job of either providing more distance with people like that or maybe in some cases kind of cutting them that distance meant cutting them out altogether or just setting a parameter and not feeling bad. It's kind of like with phone calls, right? Like there are some people who feel like people who you ain't married to who feel like every time they call you that you should just be at their kind of beck and call and have the nerve to try to check you if you aren't available because just because you call me doesn't mean that I'll be that I'm available and I don't even need me being busy like I I am at a point now that if I'm not in the mood to talk or if I'm just kind of center myself for a minute I'm not picking up the phone and I shouldn't have to explain to you why that is so I kind of reached a point where I'm just kind of out of explanations like I don't really feel like explaining myself especially on certain things so I just say like, you know what, I just need some time to refocus me. And I don't feel bad about that where I think I used to feel bad about it because now I've come to the point and I'm self-aware enough to realize I need those moments of stillness in order for me to be the best friend, the best wife, all of those things, the best daughter that I can be. 
Jamel, you brought the mamas into it. I wasn't, but you did. So now here we are. (laughs) Here we go. You've been really open and honest, vulnerable, transparent about your mother's earlier struggles with addiction and how it hurt you and affected you as a child. We get questions all the time about how to deal with these complexities of parental relationships that a lot of times we don't really have the answers to. How do you deal with forgiving a person, a mom, a loved one, even when they might necessarily didn't mean to hurt you? What have been your keys or your steps to forgiveness? So one step that I think was really helpful and that came out in in this memoir too, I believe, or came out of it, I should say, is that with your your mother in particular, you need to ask them as many questions as possible. And by that, I mean about their life, about what their life looked like before you were in it, about their disappointments, their failures, their hopes, their aspirations. Because when you learn those things, it helps you see your parent as a complete person and not just your parent and not just my mother whose function is to take care of me. When you understand them as people, it makes it easier to forgive them because, you know, you have friends or other people in your life that you forgive for things. And part of the reason you're able to forgive them is because you understand the context of who they are and how they get themselves in situations and even how they make bad decisions. And so the more I found myself asking my mother about herself, and this is not just for this book, but even before then, the more I was able to see her. She's my mama, but she's just a person. Yeah. You know, she's a person who has unhealed trauma. She's a person who, as you just mentioned, really spent a, a good part of her adulthood suffering from addiction. And while that doesn't excuse some of the poor decisions that she made, If I understand how you got there, it makes me easier to forgive. Plus, I I think helpful in the other part of that is that person, too, has to be willing to allow themselves to not just be open, but to be accountable. You know, my mother has never always talked to me from a position of accountability, which I think helps. She has never made excuses for her behavior or some of the, the bad decisions that that she has made. And so I think that made it easier for me to forgive her. I still struggle at times when it comes to my father, not necessarily the forgiveness, because sometimes, as you all know, you have to forgive people more for yourself than them because uh, you don't want to be bound to that spirit of, of being angry. I didn't want to be bound to that. So I forgave him. There have been times where I have found myself being a little resentful and the resentment comes from the lack of accountability. And so that part I can I notice that when that accountability piece isn't there. It makes it harder for you to meet the person halfway emotionally. So nevertheless, even within the scope of of forgiveness, I mean, it's still hard to realize your parents are not, you know, superheroes. It's still hard to figure out that way. But I do think it helps you see them more once you realize exactly what their flaws are and, you know, kind of how they think about the world. In reading Uphill is just astounding when you really can recognize that this story lies in like all of us as some like we see this relationship dynamic between mother and daughter and the trauma that's there is it's in my family my mom has the exact same story so I've seen her struggle with forgiving my my grandma for things that she didn't know and didn't have the tools having four kids by 20 like you know it's just so much that we have to understand about our parents and just offer them the grace that they are just people. They just happen to be our parents. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an important word that you said is grace. And that can be, you know, I know as, as Kia, sometimes we get so deeply in tune to our hurt that it's hard to, to extend that grace. But, you know, there's a reason why they do call it generational trauma. And it's like when their relationship, like my mother's relationship with my grandmother was never met right. and was never set right. And that sent her on a path of real self-sabotage because she was not able to get the safety and security from her own mother. And once it got to me, that showed up in the fact that aside from the drug use is that there was a lot of overcompensating and a lot of heavy handedness and extreme overprotectiveness that showed up in our relationship because of what she felt like she lacked in hers with my grandmother. And 
recently we were interviewed together, me, my mother and I, and there was a, a therapist who listened to the conversation that we had. And the therapist said something I had never really considered. And she said that one thing that parents don't realize is that your kids don't come here with a blank slate in terms of a personality. You just think they do because you feel like in our environment, we'll raise them a certain way or my influence or my personality. You know, we hear it all the time. Right. You act just like your daddy right. or you act just like your mom, right? <laughs> we hear that all the time. But as this therapist was explaining is that your child comes here with a personality type already. And in her mind, there's sort of two types of personalities. There are people who are on the needier side, more need driven. I think that's what she called it. Mm. And there's people who are not need driven. And sometimes when you have that combination, it can be clashes. So my mother, she had me at 18 and she told me all the time that, you know, that obviously that's a scary circumstance as you're 18. Right. My mother's barely out of high school when she was pregnant with me. And she, the main thing she said, the reason she never considered abortion and wanted to have me even to the point to where she had stopped taking birth control pills while she was with my father was because she wanted to bring it, bring someone to this planet who she could love unconditionally and would love her back unconditionally because she was searching for something she did not get from my grandmother. The problem, and sometimes this is where we clash, is that I'm not a need-driven person. The word need is tricky for me. Mm. That's not me, you know? And so when my mother is expressing her need, sometimes I can't relate to it. Right. And then we bump heads. It was great that that therapist like really pointed that out because it helped me understand why sometimes over the smallest things that we have friction about. You know, there's this story. Oh, my goodness. My, my mother just she would just not forget this ever. And, you know, when me and my husband first started dating, this is back in 2015. And we were a very new couple. You know, we had we had dated for almost a year, but we had yet to say, will you go with me? We didn't put the stamp on it. Once we put the stamp on it you know, and started dating, he had told me while we were, we had, before we put the stamp on it, he was planning a family cruise and he wanted to take his mother, his grandmother and his father on a cruise. He invited me along as his date and his father was bringing who the person at the time who was his longtime girlfriend. So we all went on a cruise. My mother, when I told her about this cruise, instead of being very happy for me and all this other things like, Oh, that's great. You know, let me know how it goes and all that. She was hating from the beginning. And then <laughs> afterwards, she finally vocalized why that was there. And in her mind, she felt excluded. And yeah. I was like, but it wasn't my vacation. Right. I was like, I, I'm going as his date. This right. is not my vacation. She was like, well, you had the whole family there. And then she said something to me like, well, I wouldn't date somebody who wouldn't allow them to bring what? their mother somewhere. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm like, how did we get from zero to 90? Like, what? what? Like, what happened in there? Right. And it bothered her for a long time. It still bothers her. And I, I don't know why she doesn't get the fact that, like, it, I didn't organize this. Right. He did. Right. We we were barely a year into dating when this happened. Like, what do I look like? Like, bring my mama. mama right. But now that, we, now that I've had this, you know, sort of eye-opening revelation of understanding where our personalities clash, now I see why. My mother just wanted to feel involved. And she couldn't really vocalize that. So she fixated on this cruise and tried to make it seem as if we had, you know, really left her out and had done something that she took personally. And it was like, it wasn't that. All she wanted to do was feel included. And she didn't know how to vocalize that in what I thought was a healthy way. Because we had quite quite an argument about that. Now wow. a cruise needs to be scheduled. Right. She's like, if I tell him you got a mama too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, but it wasn't even like that. Like, it wasn't supposed to be some meet the parents thing. It's just something he specifically wanted to do for his his family. And I noticed that, especially with us having a lot of distance in the sense that my mother lives in Michigan, I'm here in Los Angeles, is that my mother's always kind of searching for these ways to be more heavily involved. And I, I'm just, sometimes I'm clueless. Like, I cannot relate to this. I don't know what's happening. Right. So it's almost like a, a she's going through a, another empty nester phase. I don't know what's going on. Like, yeah. I've been going, we haven't lived together since I was 16 years old. Right. So You've been I'm just like, there. huh, I don't really know how to do this, you know? Yeah. 
I too relate to you so much just from getting to know you more and even more so through your book. And you mentioned that we hang on to our childhood and it's unfortunate, but our childhood doesn't leave us. We don't forget about it. Even when we are in therapy and we do things to heal, there are just things that really affect us. Like you said, our personality is molded. And you mentioned that you have to protect yourself and like kind of harden and have some difficulty with like being vulnerable. But writing this memoir, clearly you had to really go into a space where you had to be very vulnerable. And I just want to know, like, how did you manage to tear down those walls and show up in this way? Because I have a very hard time being vulnerable. I'm like, you you don't you think you know me, but you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely speak in my love language there. Um, but I guess the one place it's always been much easier for me to be vulnerable is in writing. It was my original and always will be my safe haven. You know, when I was a kid, as I was trying to make sense of my surroundings and trying to make sense of navigating around my mother's drug use, the one place I could go to vent, to let out all of the emotional turmoil was in my journals. So I kept journals. But in fact, one of the stories that I tell in my memoir is about the terrifying day when I came home from school. I was like in middle school and my mother was sitting at our dining room table with my journal in her hand because she read it. And <laughs> Jamel, this which, had me in tears. I'm already laughing right now. I'm waiting on you to tell it. Exactly. And I mean, I can laugh at it now, but damn, I was traumatized when that shit happened. So, you know, yeah, she read it and I had been talking shit about her in the journal. And because as I said, it was a source of where I could vent, be frustrated, express whatever was kind of going on with me and what I thought was a safe place, but it was not because Denise was the FBI and she found it. and. You know, because of those choice words, I got my ass whooped <laughs> and she put all my shit in the garbage bag and drove me to my father's job and let me out there and was like, good luck with that. Right. <laughs> right? Since, since you want to talk all big about me, here you go. So I, I say all that to say is that the being vulnerable kind of in, in person, if you will, is very hard for me. It's gotten a little easier. You know, uh, my husband has been able to really help me you know, with this, because he's an open book, like he's an over communicator. And so that that's been very helpful. But in writing, that was not as much of an issue. So when I sat down, and I started the process of writing this memoir, I wanted to be as transparent and open as I possibly could. Because of the the difficult subject matter that I talk about in there, I think there's a certain shame that comes with that. And part of working through the shame is by being, you know, transparent, there's a, a lot of people out there, both adults and even, you know, people who are young adults or kids or whatever, who have parents who have, you know, had struggled with drugs. And there's a shame that you carry because of that. There's a shame you carry with poverty. I wrote about my abortion because there's a shame that that people have about that. And I felt like being open and honest about those things and giving them context would help alleviate that shame and also change how certain people dealt with their circumstances. Like, you know, I'll just take abortion, for example. I think when people think about who has an abortion, what comes to mind is not actually the picture of who has an abortion, right? I mean, there's all kinds of women that have them. We know that for sure. But in their mind, they always think of somebody who has an abortion is irresponsible, is probably a woman of color, probably a black woman in their mind who's just using abortion as their own personal birth control. And there's a lack of empathy there. That was one of the reasons why I wanted to share that story. Like they don't think of somebody who had an abortion as somebody who's been successful or just simply didn't want a child, which was the circumstance I was in. It wasn't about trauma. You know, I wasn't raped. There was no incest involved. I wasn't facing a life or death medical emergency. I didn't want any children. Right. That was period point blank. And the pathway I saw to myself career wise would in my mind have been greatly interrupted had I made that choice. And I was also with somebody I didn't want to be tied to the rest of my life. Hello. You know, they weren't a bad person. 
just wasn't my person. Period. Right. And I didn't want to be in one, right? And we send them on their way when we realize that. You know what I'm saying? Home. It's like, right. We were already on the verge of breaking up when I found out I was pregnant, right? So it was just like, uh-uh. I already knew that wasn't going to work. And I was like, the last thing, having been the product of a volatile baby mama, baby daddy situation, I was like, I am not about to sign up for that shit <laughs> at all. So, so yeah, I, I think, removing those stigmas was important to me and it was an important piece of why I decided to be as transparent as I was and as vulnerable as I was in uphill. I love that. So although you might still be working on becoming more vulnerable, you are not struggling in the area of being unapologetically Jamel. (laughs) You are unapologetically black and unapologetically unbothered. You inspire me on so many levels, but that your ability to just be yourself, blackity black all the damn time. I'm going to tell this real quick story. So you were just on Charlemagne the God's like nightly show. Yep. And they were playing Young Dolph, get paid, young nigga, get paid in the background. <laughs> and the camera went to you and you were rapping the lyrics. And I said, Jamel, a woman after my own heart. I stand someone who's just themselves all the time. It's so inspiring. So I want to know, how do you walk the line of not giving a fuck, being yourself, <laughs> And still keeping your job. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. You're right. I felt like that was devotion, what you witnessed on that show. Listen, listen. So there is a fine line. And at different points in your career, it will be in balance where you have to be more reserved to not only make sure that check keep coming, but also with the hope that you would eventually be in a position where you not you don't have to code switch or you don't have to do other things to lessen and minimize yourself in certain environments. When I was in my 20s and just starting off as a young journalist, just trying to figure out the craft, find my voice, you know, learn how to be a good journalist, there were things I could not say to my boss that I I could say once I had, you know, 20 in a pen. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So if you're fortunate enough to be able to work for yourself early on and throughout your career, God bless you, because then you don't have to navigate some of these tricky political corporate waters like some others have and like I've I've certainly had to do. But what I found was that every battle that I won, I might lose the war, but with every battle that I, I won, it gave me confidence for the next one. And so it's kind of like a stair step approach here is that, OK, you might have lost. 10, 15 battles uh, to corporate America. But when you win that one and you remember how you did it and the blueprint is fresh in your mind, the next time you see a similar situation or another one where you feel like that was useful training for you, you'll approach that in an even more confident you know, way. And sometimes to be blunt, this is in conjunction with the money that you make. Mm. You know, the, uh, the agency that I had in my first contract at ESPN which was in 2006 and was uh, what we call a two plus two. It was like a two year deal with a two year option. The agency I had with that versus when I left ESPN, when I was able to be on a contract with frankly, life-changing generational money, they got a different version because then I could really tell some people, fuck you because I know what I was getting paid. Right. right? And so what you want to do is make sure that you're always progressing and moving forward and not feeling like, with every single job that you take or every position you have that you had less agency than the, than the job before it. And I can say that throughout my career with every job, with every move up, be it incrementally or a big leap, I had more agency every time. Some of it was, as I just said, connected to financially, how I was, how much money I was making. But a lot of times it was connected to just the confidence I had in myself and my abilities. And for that matter, learning how to build a supportive circle around me in a corporate structure. You know, if you and the boss on good terms and somebody talking to you crazy that doesn't have the title that they have, then you know you could t- cuss out the person talking to you crazy. Right. And if they want to take it to the boss, you can be like, what you want to do to you? Right, take <laughs> right? It. Because you already know that you already have the backing up top where it matters. So if it's a decision to be made, they're in trouble, not you. Exactly. Right. So, right. So this is, you You constantly are strategizing. Now I'm in a different season because I'm more of an entrepreneur, you know, having the Unbothered uh, Network and, and my own podcast and my own production company. Then th- this is a totally different conversation whenever I'm going into partnership. Right. Now you're getting 
all of this. Right. You ain't getting the edited version. You're not getting the code switch version. You're getting all of this because I own everything. Period. That <laughs> right. Part. Period. So you're going to get a different version. And the reason I think it's important when you get to that place, be it within a traditional corporate structure or in, in my case, where you've cobbled together your own universe career wise, you got to go ham because it's not just about you. It's about you thinking about the next black woman or the other black people coming through the door. Like, I, you know, uh, I mean, I, if I got to cut somebody out for Britney and Germany, I'm going to do it so that not only <laughs> it gives you all a safety net, knowing that I'm riding, that I'm the ride or die. And it's like, you know, we I don't want to just be, you know, your ally. I want to be your accomplice. Then I can take on a different function so that the next time if I'm not there and there's another Brittany in Germany that, that comes through the pipeline, they'll remember that cuss out I gave them about y'all and then the treatment will be different. So it's about laying the expectation, not only for yourself, but for the people coming behind you so that they know better when they have when they run into us, particularly with those who may not have the same agency that I have right now. And that's why we're in this car. Exactly. And that's why we're riding together. Y'all thought it was a game, but it's not. Jamel, I can honestly say that you are Black Girl Bravado personified. The way that we define Black Girl Bravado is undeniable confidence and in-your-face boldness. That is you. But we want to know, what has been your biggest moment of your own Black Girl Bravado? Well, I, I mean, I guess I, I think people would probably have the expectation that I would say when I called the former president what he is, calling him a white supremacist because he is. And then having the White House, of course, uh, call for me to be fired. That was certainly a moment <laughs> that, I won't, yeah. that I won't forget and, and him going off on me on Twitter and all that. But, you know, honestly, I think creating this network has been a big part of that because it's coming from a place of wanting to leave something that will exist long after I'm gone and wanting to provide, you know, some sense of North star for other black women who are in this business of podcasting, creating content. So, you know, for me, that's a real moment. Cause it, then it's about not just what you do for yourself. Then it's about you dragging other people to where you are. That's special. And there's a lot of, Battles and fights that take place, uh, you know, to get certain things uh, accomplished. But as draining as some of those battles and fights may be and as draining as some of the other setbacks may be, you know, it's all worth it because I'm sitting here with you all. I mean, it feels like, you know, there's been a, a collection of moments where I've had to advocate for myself and, you know, advocate for, you know, my own self-worth, you know, in those moments, there's a lot of those different moments. But I think now in this season, it just feels increasingly like my function is not just to disrupt. That's part of the function, I think. But I think the other function is to, you know, how in Titanic, the old white lady, she was on that raft by herself. Like, oh, boy, couldn't fit up there. Right. Like, I ain't trying to be on the raft by myself. I'm like, I want to make a big enough raft. Yes. So we all up there. So we all ain't got to die on the iceberg. Like, we don't all have to do that. <laughs> right. Trying to create the raft. Yes. Right, if you will. Jamel, you are really a change maker. You're so phenomenal. The more and more we learn about you, we just stand you girl like we love we just love you want to eat you up eat you up <laughs> well I stand you guys though because like the pathway that you all have taken to this point what you've built you all have a lot to be proud of the fact that you've built your own community from scratch and that's not easy to do particularly in a world that can be very isolated for black women who are in a creative content space and so I love that you not only created something from scratch, but you created something that's uniquely you. You know, there's only one black girl bravado. There's one Britney, one Germany. There's only one. I thought from the moment I talked to you guys, I should say from the moment I listened to you first and then talked to you, um, you know, your, you guys authenticity, your relationship, all those things just really jumped off the page to me. So, you know, while y'all sitting here standing me, I have a ton of reasons to stand you 
for what you all have been able to accomplish. And this is just scratching the surface, which is the best part about it. It is. Thank you for seeing Thank us. Thank you and so much. Hearing us and just, you know, being here today. We are so grateful, Jamil. Yes. And thank you for joining us unapologetically today. Yes. <laughs> I appreciate you all for seeing me and for giving other black girls and women a space where, you know, being seen is one part, but I think what's even more liberating is that, you know, you all have created a, an opportunity for us to commune together in a more vulnerable way where we are not worried about the cost and repercussions or feeling as if we can't have those kind of open, honest, communicative relationships. So I thank you all for creating that space. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sure your soul was fed. It's just like my soul was fed. And if it was, let me tell you something. Uphill, Jamel's autobiography is in stores now. So go grab it. And to take it a step further, we highly encourage you to get it from a black woman owned bookstore. Okay. All right, y'all. More Black Girl Bravado coming up right after this. So now it's time for I Did That Shit, where we brag on ourselves for doing dope shit and tell you all about the dope shit that we did. So we've been talking this episode about being unapologetic and how that can be misconstrued for being mean or difficult. Let me give y'all a story where this happened to me, okay? Mm -hmm. So I told you how I have been perceived. And I was talking with my ex, right? This is when we were together, of course. He was asking me to go to Whole Foods for him. I was going to run some errands. I had to go to Target. I had to go to Costco. I was, I had some things on my agenda. And he was like, oh, while you're out, can you go to Whole Foods? Now, <laughs> as a weekly grocery shopping black women, which a lot of us are, going to the grocery store is not that fun. You know, no. it's a chore. So... I didn't feel like doing that. I wanted to get my errands done and I wanted to get back in the house and I wanted to chill as soon as possible, as soon as I could. So I said, no, I don't, uh, -uh I'm not going to Whole Foods. And he was like, why? And I said, cause I don't want, I don't want to. This time I didn't think of like an excuse or a reason or like, oh, because I have to, I just right. said, honestly, unapologetically, I said, because I don't want to, I don't want to go to Whole Foods today. I only want to go to Costco and I only want to go to Target. And he said, wow, you are mean. I said, no, I'm not. Do you know how many times you've asked me to go to Whole Foods? And I just said yes. And I didn't want to. You didn't even know I didn't want to. You just knew that you requested that I go somewhere and I went. But today, I don't want to do it. So I'm not going to do and it. All. And that doesn't make me mean. That just means I'm being honest. I don't want to do it today. And you think I went? Nah, I didn't go. And he accepted it. And he had to take back that I was mean. Because he it. knows that I'm not me. You're not. You're not. Proud of you. You're always direct. And I know it's more challenging to be very explicitly direct with your partner because you hold such a soft space for them. You're being a soft place to land. Yeah. But sometimes it's like, nigga, nah. Right. Ain't no trampoline over here. Yeah. Get your ass up. Right. So, yes, you did that shit. I did that shit. Love it. All right, boo-boos. We've come to the last segment of the show. It's time to pick up a pin we're, we're dropping, dropping a, a gem. gem where we share the content that checked us and inspired us these are the things that make us look in the mirror and remember the baddies that we are so we're sharing the good vibes with you hmm. so what's the gym for the week the gym this week y'all it's a sermon it's, it's a, sermon. a sermon now sometimes we just need to go deep deep in the bag to get our soul fed i know that i have been in that bag of Same. needing some spiritual food Same. <laughs> to feed my spirit so when this gym came across our desk because adrian shared it right? adrian did she's a woman of faith she's yeah. a, a god-fearing woman and she, she always has something to inspire you and motivate you so yes right we are talking about this particular sermon rise slay eat by Sarah Jakes Roberts. Yes. Now, if you are a follower of Sarah Jakes Roberts, then you know she's eating all day, every day. Every time she pulls that mic to her mouth, words, inspiration, motivation, mm -hmm. empowerment mm -hmm. comes out. Mm -hmm. All that, all she's that, a, all she's that. She's a really good girl. 
And I think that Adrian shared that at a perfect time because mm-hmm. it was shortly after our How Well Do You Know Yourself episode. And yeah. this sermon really touched on like identity. having a, your identity, sometimes having to rediscover who you are because you're being called into a new space, which we can attest to that. That's yeah. why I felt it so deep in my soul. I'm like, some things have to change here. Like the Brittany that I've always known, she's not necessarily working right now. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like I need to show up differently yeah. and it's hard, but it's necessary. And listen, Sarah got us together she got us together, she got with us that, together. One. that was a really good one so y'all check it out hopefully sarah helps get you to where you need to go because honey we actually put our shit in the car and we're headed there <laughs> we're headed there yeah so you can find that on the one church podcast or you can find it on youtube yeah this was a goodie this was a great first episode here on our new network here in our new home honey my shoes are off i got cozy socks on (laughs) you feel me i've showered yeah i've lotioned up and i'm here to stay and i'm definitely ready to just flip it in all areas we're flipping it we're flipping it yes hopefully y'all enjoyed this make sure you share it on social you can only find us here on spotify love you see y'all next week